Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for being here and choosing to invest your valued time and attention in this podcast. Today, I want to paint a more vivid picture for you about my dreams for humanity and have some fun playing, playing with possibility. And I want to start by, well, inviting you into a little bit more about my influences in my audacity to dream. And that's the, the earliest authors of what, of what one might call the law of attraction. Now, hold on before your mind creates neural associations and immediate assumptions because I said the term law of attraction. I invite you to question and let go of immediate assumptions. I'm actually in the process of writing a blog post that I'll publish soon Publish soon on my website, uh, joelbine.com, called uh, Three Reasons to Believe in the Law of Attraction. And one of the points in this is that the, the metaphysics of the law of attraction, whether it's actually a real law of the universe, is sort of secondary to me. That's an interesting conversation. And my skeptical mind is definitely reserves, has reservations about asserting 100% that this is an actual metaphysical law. But that's secondary to me. What matters to me is the invitation that the law of attraction gives you to imagine, to dream, to visualize, to create vivid pictures in your reticular activating system, the RAS, this part of the brain that is doing that visioning. And when we create these visions, we end up having a roadmap to get there. I mean, we're doing this all the time. If you want to go to the other side of the room, you are very quickly in your mind activating the vision of I'm going to go to the other side of the room. And then you do it. So we're creating images in our mind all the time. The question is how deliberately are we crafting and painting and sculpting those visions? So that is what one of the main reasons I'm very interested in the law of attraction for the opportunity to cultivate the skill of deliberate thought, of deliberate intention, deliberate visualization of what you intend to create. So I'm going to sort of just focus on that. And, you know, it's funny, I'm almost just, I'm almost slightly regretting even mentioning the term law of attraction because we often as people, as I said a moment ago, have these immediate assumptions about it, right? You might have a belief in your subconscious mind that the law of attraction is bullshit. So in your subconscious mind, you have a filter going on that might be inhibiting you from actually fully hearing what I'm saying with clarity. So again, I, I do invite you to raise your consciousness about your assumed filters. And let me just focus on I'm not going to restart this podcast and, and re-record or edit this out that I said the term law of attraction. Oh my gosh, for all the people who are skeptical, I'm just going to let it go here. And I'm going to focus on the point here, which is the visualization for humanity, the vision for humanity. But I want to read a short passage from one of the earlier authors 
Charles Honnell from 1912, his The Master Key System. Uh, this is the book that inspired Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, or inspired Napoleon Hill in general for his, his work. Um, this book, as well as The Science of Getting Rich, which was a couple years before, I believe, same era, uh, that book was the catalyst for, for Rhonda, Rhonda Burns' movie, The Secret. And so all these modern iterations of these concepts of, of visualization and law of attraction, they're influenced in these earlier books. So I've went right to the source and I'm, I'm very, I think the master key system is, is the ultimate, ultimate take on this power of mental fortitude and deliberate thought and creation of what you desire. Um, again, let go of your preconceptions. You can read this book and you can gain value without buying into metaphysical possibilities. You can still read a book and discard 10% of it or discard certain premises and still gain immense value. Again, this is what I'm saying in my blog post that'll come out, that regardless of what you think about the metaphysics or whatnot, will you have an abundance mindset and say, how can I gain value from this perspective? Or will I dismiss it entirely because I disagreed with 10% of it? See, that's not, that's, not, that's not being as selfish as you could be, right? How can you read any book and find value? How can you come across any person? Maybe you disagree with 99% of what they say. What if you could find the 1% that you value from, about that person's perspective, right? Okay, so what's beautiful about this book is this invitation to dream, to dream big and grand and without inhibition and to have that courage to actually engage the mind to create that specificity, that vividness. And so towards the beginning of the book, he has this concept of the mental house and creating these ideals and images which we desire to realize. And he says, there is a fine estate awaiting a clement. Its broad acres with abundant crops, running water and fine timber stretch away as far as the eye can see. There is a mansion, spacious and cheerful with rare pictures, a well-stocked library, rich hangings in every comfort and luxury. All the heir has to do is to assert his airship, take possession and use the property. He must use it. He must not let it decay for use is the condition on which he holds it. To neglect it is to lose possession. In the domain of mind and spirit, in the domain of practical power, such an estate is yours. You are the heir. You can assert your heirship and possess and use this rich inheritance. So I see this as two layers. You have this, you are the heir of this estate, meaning the possibility. You have the, the option to engage your mind, to assert your heirship. And that estate is the desired future you want to create. But 99% plus of people don't engage intentionally, deliberately with vividness and specificity and in permissionless dreaming. They don't engage that mind to say, I want to vividly create the desired future in my mind. And this obviously is on the personal level of one's own life. 
And yet today, I want to talk about the vision for humanity. I want to invite more specificity about what, what, that, what that estate looks like for a free, harmonious, happy, healthy, wholesome world that I alluded to in episode one. So let's do it. Well, there's many different angles into this. There's different domains. And for the sake of brevity, I will only be able to get so vivid. But I want to in, invite this for you to begin to, to plant a seed in your mind of what's possible for humanity. And if, and if we begin to create this vision, you know, and then we start taking this, as we create the vision, we start taking the next steps to, to actually manifest it or build it. So this future is built on consent. It's built on respect of the will of each human being. And this begins in childhood. This begins in a conscious, integrated, respectful approach to parenting children. And in this vision, the principle by which people live is consent and respect of the will and autonomy of other beings, including the child and starting with the child. Now we could riff on all sorts of specifics about parenting philosophy, and I'll, I'll save that for another show or another podcast entirely. But when we start from a principles-based world where our humans are engaging their prefrontal cortex and operating consciously with self-esteem, that self-esteem extends to respecting the will of the child and seeing the child, yes, as a different type of relationship that is parent and child relationship is a different type of relationship than is parent, parent, or excuse me, adult, adult, right? Yet there's not a difference in the level of dignity and respect that we show that young person, that little person, because that will inside of the mind of that child is just as valid as an adult's will. We have the same needs no matter what age we, we are, no matter how small our bodies are. And so we birth this, this new paradigm upon that principle of the principle of self-ownership and consent. Now, today's episode is not about preemptively talking about the, the specifics about what that looks like and the, the different scenarios that might be coming into your mind for how do you... That's not, that's not the purpose of today's episode. The purpose is to allow ourselves the freedom the freedom and possibility of dreaming and letting go for a moment of the voices in our head that want to say, but how is that going to be possible? To, to make a distinction between dreaming and execution, dreaming and action, dreaming and building. What if we were to actually just let ourselves permission? Of course, when we were growing up, we often didn't get that permission to dream. So we have these impulses. But I digress. This vision for humanity underscores and emphasizes and highlights that principle of self-ownership that each human owns himself, owns his mind, owns her property, right? Their body and their own property. And this is the fundamental principle. And it's one in which needs are being met. And this integrates into my next sort of ingredient in this, in this recipe is a, is a culture of empathy a culture of needs-based consciousness. Okay, so we have, 
we have the philosophy, we have the principle of self-ownership. We have humans using reason and appealing to reason, appealing to people's consent, appealing to people's sense of self-interest rather than top-down command control and coercive strategies. So we were operating on this new level of consciousness in using our mind and reason. And integrated into that is a healthy psychology of needs-based consciousness. So needs, referring back to the work of Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication, recognizing that we, we live in a paradigm, we, we can create a paradigm beyond moralistic judgment and saying, you're right, you're wrong, shame and blame, and punishment, reward, and extrinsic motivation, but rather recognizing that all our needs can be met without anyone sacrificing. Our needs, what are these needs? Needs for trust, needs for peace, needs for connection, needs for compassion, to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, for empathy, for honesty, for creativity, for respect, for health, sleep, play, freedom, independence, choice. There's an abundance of needs and all of them can get met and all of them matter, right? All of them matter. I would even go far, so far as to say that we don't even have a hierarchy of needs. All the needs are equally life-serving and have equal weight. Yes, there's a need for safety, but the need for freedom is equal to that. The need for self-expression and meaning, these are all vital for our flourishing. And it is possible for us to create that flourishing world. So we have this psychological framework of, of health and wholeness based on principles of self-ownership and respect for each person's autonomy and choice, right? All these things come together or we're moving beyond this, again, command and control and again, moralistic judgment saying this person is bad or did this bad thing. Rather, oh, this person did this action and that didn't meet my need. Okay, now we can move from there, right? Interpersonally, as I alluded to on the last episode, we're not talking about a world without interpersonal challenge or even disagreement or conflict. Now, the way we address that conflict becomes an opportunity for growth. And the way, the way we address that is through non-aggression, but rather through creativity and connection and compassion. So we have these two, these two pillars, I would say, philosophy, psychology, philosophy, principles, and integrated psychology of wholeness and needs-based consciousness. These are the fundamentals. And now this scales up where we have respectful, integrated parenting, and we have paradigms of education that are built on respect for the child's curiosity and interests and choice. And so one might call this unschooling or self-directed learning, or there could be a myriad of, of options in the marketplace that cater to parents and children based on their styles of learning. Education is, is as individual as a fingerprint. So we're not trying to say that this is the new system for education. And rather, we're actually letting go of the idea of a centralized system. So people sometimes want a solution to the current state of K-12 schooling, but the reality is there isn't a solution other than a philosophical shift. But the, that, the, what that looks like can be infinite on the number of types of educational models. 
And so we have an entire marketplace and variety and richness of options for education. And so all this builds the foundation for a healthy culture of healthy parenting, healthy education options for children and families. And this also builds strong interpersonal villages, I would, I would say, returning towards more healthy interdependent types of relating rather than the social isolation of nuclear families. We still have a strong sense of, of the core nuclear family, I would say. And yet we also have strong sense of support systems around those children and we're having playful, open, safe neighborhoods and villages and towns that create these support systems for families and children and so forth. And this builds the foundation for, for the healthy culture, right? So look, see, see I'm outlining this is we're based on the, 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 the beginning, the, the fundamentals. The fundamentals are what matters here for this vision for humanity. It's what happens once that child is birthed into this world or even just as the child is, is forming inside the womb, right? What is our philosophy and what is our psychology? What are these principles? And all this builds this foundation for a healthy, free world, right? And so I, might, I like to highlight a little bit about what that looks like in a macroeconomic standpoint. Because when I say villages, neighborhoods, and towns, I mean that without any sense of centralized control and government, right? So this is this key principle to integrate in to this vision. We have new options and new um, spontaneous systems of decentralized trust-based systems that humans cultivate through these principles from the bottom up rather than these centralized control systems, these institutions, these institutions known as government. And what, what comes of that is also these, these crony capitalistic institutions, this corporatism that you see in the current world in 2023. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening in 2133, we, we made some progress, we made a lot of progress. But yeah, 20, uh, 2123, yeah. If you're listening 100 years from now, hope to hear from you. How much progress have we made? Anyway, yeah, we can create these, from these, these principles from the bottom up of this healthy culture, we have, we have spontaneous systems, right? And so this is where I would point you towards, towards um, free market economists. And so look here, the scope of this particular episode and, and my show in, in, in general I don't necessarily anticipate going deep into the specifics about what many people have, have outlined um, about something like free market economics because there's so many places you can find that. I'm interested in presenting the integrated vision and talking about action steps to get there and starting with personal, personal development. Um, that's probably what you're going to be hearing more of from me. Um, but free market economics is a great place to integrate in what's, how it's possible to create um, this, this vision for humanity. Now I'm not, um, I'm not a dog. I'm not dogmatic about this library of these, these economists are like the people I bow down to for how the world's going to work. Like these are just options for you to learn. Um, I'm, I'm open to different ways that humans can, can create different economies in, that are even outside of mon monetary systems. And, you know, there's a misconception that, Someone like uh, Murray Rothbard, the free market economist, you know, is, is creating this specific blueprint for how things are going to work in the future. 
It's actually not. What actually is the truth is there's spontaneous order that is created through free markets and trust built, trust built, uh, systems. Um, so there's lots of different ways that humans can, can, can interact and create structures in, in the culture at large without government. What matters is these principles, but I would direct you in, I would, I would direct you to, to, to learn some of these domains of economics to, to, to integrate in these principles of self-ownership and healthy psychology with the macro. So uh, check out my friend Wes Bertrand's book, Complete Liberty and Complete Liberty Inside Out. He read those books on his podcast, Complete Liberty Podcast, which is a big influence for this vision. Definitely Complete Liberty Inside Out is an enormously uh, beneficial, beneficial book to read. So these spontaneous Spontaneous systems are built on trust and reputation and quality of businesses, right? So you can have all sorts of domains like privatized security, right? So the immediate concern people have is how do you have security without government, right? So these things can be addressed when we have market-based systems where the, the business is incentivized to serve customers, right? So that business will treat people well and, and serve them well based on those incentives. Otherwise, they'll go out of business. So the idea of, of third-party structures, third-party um, sort of regulation, right? Like nat- um, self-regulation through market incentives is a huge element to, to sort of understand in, in seeing this vision for humanity. Um, so also check out The Anarchist Handbook by Michael Malice. It's a collection of essays from a lot of these historical figures who've written about privatized security, privatized courts. Um, and these, again, these are just, these are just uh, models. I think what, what can happen is all sorts of different things can happen for humans to get their needs for safety and security met, right? And also inclusion and community and support of others. We have a need to make sure that people don't get left behind, which is a common thought. Oh, we need government. Otherwise, the poor person is going to be left behind. Well, actually, in reality, when we look at policies, the government makes it harder for poor people. But that doesn't negate the need for inclusion and respect and support of other people. So there's all sorts of ways that we can get those needs met without these institutions of coercive government, right? And that kind of segues me a bit to what I want to mention, can touch on. I'm I'm fitting in what I can in this vision. There's a lot of elements, but I want to kind of give you this, this presentation and package here. We have decentralized currency. Now, the beginnings of that are taking hold with Bitcoin and others. And there's, there's a lot. It's, it's a very new technology in the big picture of human, human evolution. But it's suffice to say that the current system of centralized fiat currency is absolutely destructive in so many ways. And what we can create is sound money, sound money that's based on uh, actual scarcity and is not able to be inflated through centralized, um, just magical creation of money, otherwise known as money printing, right? Which devalues the currency. And then the currency has been devalued just insanely amount, it's insanely, like it's in like 98% in the past 100 years or something like that because of governments, these empires that print money to stay in control. But this is, this is emerging now, and this is an integrated part of a vision for humanity. But maybe it's not the only thing. It's not the only currency. There's also currency of social currency. There's gift economies. 
There's all sorts of ways for humans to meet each other's needs, right? So this is sort of a window into what's possible from a sort of touching on these ingredients of the foundations of parenting and education, scaling up into macroeconomics and creating healthy, interdependent, spontaneous systems based on trust and harmony without government intervention, without the existence of these institutions. And those institutions, of course, only exist because right now they only exist because of the, the unhealthy parenting, the unhealthy schooling, and the conditioning of our culture. So when we start from the bottom up, it's the natural organic blossoming of healthy parenting and education treatment of children that creates new paradigms for humans. And from there, I mean, it's sort of, it's almost just infinite, the possibilities of joy and the needs that can get met and the creativity that can happen for humans. But one thing I want to mention as I close up here is something that I particularly value and want to create for humans is this, this value of openness, a culture of op openness. I've come to realize that openness is one of my highest values. Now this is openness in, in the sense of there is a welcoming atmosphere where you, where you go. There is a sense of emotional openness, emotional expression, and a high degree of, of trusting self-led energy, wholeness, right? Rather than what we often see in this culture today is closedness, protective mechanisms, protector parts in our psychology, guardedness, false selves, psychological masks. This creates this culture of pretense, of protective defense mechanisms and distrust and fear. But when we integrate into wholeness, and our true selves, we realize openness is a natural result. And to be able to, when you see someone and they ask you, how are you? To be able to freely express what's alive in you from the inside out, from your heart, from your mind, without fear and without expectation that you're supposed to do it a certain way. I almost think this idea of vulnerability could even be minimized because we would feel so safe we can feel so safe to express our honest feelings that it wouldn't even be vulnerable. What a world that would be, huh? To just be free, fully safe, knowing that you are loved unconditionally. You are free to be open with what's in your heart and mind. So that's been, today has been an opportunity for me to paint some pictures of what, what the estate might look like that I'd like to assert my airship for, that I invite you to, to cultivate in your mental garden. What is it that you want to create in your life and for, for humans? And to begin to take ownership of your power to, to become vivid in what it is that you desire. And if we have that audacity to dream and create that vision for humanity, well, as I once read... If you expect the best, you often get it. Thanks so much for listening.